0: what's up y'all it's the fourth quarter it's a new month and what better way to start it than coming to join us at EYL University
1: yes the fourth quarter is where star players make a name for themselves so come and join the number one roster EYL University is the biggest platform for business in the universe we have over 70 past classes weekly classes we have a private investment group on facebook which gives you access to our movie club our book club we also have bi-weekly real estate calls with mg the mortgage guy and monthly financial advising calls with none other than yours truly Uh so head over to eyluniversity.com right now and enter promo code eyl for 40% off of our annual
0: membership. That's right. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over. We'll see you on the other side.
2: Well, I appreciate you being here. Let's see how much of a delay we have and then we'll go. Until they come back in.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, we'll make it happen. You know, um, maybe we have to get a court reporter get in here and type up a transcript or something. Man,
2: we may we may need it tonight. But I appreciate you. Um, you want to dive right in?
3: Uh, yeah. Unless you want to wait for the guys, but um, yeah, man. Like, no need to uh, no need to thank me. Like I said, um, I'm here to be of service. Uh, love what you guys are doing, and uh, if I can be, if I can be a resource, I think it's important that people have this information and get it from an unbiased source with no agenda. Um, mm-hmm. I heard the disclaimer; I'm just going to throw out my own. So um, I'm definitely not serving in an advisory uh, capacity. These views are my own, not of CNBC, not of XP Investments, my company, or any other affiliate. Um, I'm just here to give you guys the real, the way I see it. Um, but I, I would always encourage everybody to do, to do their own research. Um, and I'm going to try to, you know, I'm here a little bit earlier today. Hopefully I can get into the weeds a little bit and give you guys some, um, some, some more in-depth type of analysis on, uh, maybe what you should be looking at, how to look at it, um, and, and really know, try to equip you with the tools needed to kind of make your own, um, decisions, which is, which is really what this is about, right? Um, I, like, I, I'll let you kind of lead this, Ian, but I, I did want to kind of kick off by saying, like, there's no, uh, cookie cutter way to do this. Uh, I mean, I know for you personally, and I know mm-hmm. myself, like a lot of this stuff, um, you know, it's, it's, it's trial and error. You know, you learn uh, from your victories and your defeats, and so I would I would caution anyone from just following anything that you read or consume via digital media or whatever else uh, blindly. Right, from anyone, myself included. I don't care if it comes from Ray Dalio. You should pick up the book or the yeah. article or kind of tear it through the company's balance sheet um, yourself because. And, and Ian, hats off to you. So when you have mentors that can lead you in the right direction, the, the information that they're giving you is technical. It's a how to do this. There is no replication for how to think about doing this. So I hopefully I can come here and give you not only the technical know-how in terms of how to execute X, Y, and Z, but the critical thinking that goes behind being able to execute uh, X, Y, and Z. So
1: just wanted to say that. Really looking forward to it. Um, you know, we can kick it off. Can can
2: y'all um are we back? Yes, you're back. Yep. All right. <laughs> We're back. It's one All we right, gotta that's, breathe that's, in, brother. That's,
1: okay. That's...
2: It's gonna All be okay. They right,
1: you know I have high levels
0: of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We got that. Yo, he, he got the Arthur hand bowled up right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Zoom today's going to be the last
2: day. Um, but, but if I can dive in, so. Um, absolutely. Um, by the way, I'm seeing a lot of misinformation on social. Um, Can you walk us through the proper way that a professional would structure a portfolio so people aren't getting caught up um, and the hype of what is being posted online and on social media today?
3: Uh, absolutely, man. That's a great question. Um, it kind of ties into what I was saying earlier. I thought about coming on here, and I know some people have seen some of the questions like, yo, so what stock is this X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, I really want to, listen, I, I'm here to serve. I'll, this won't be my first time. So I, my, my first time won't be my last time. I'll get to all the questions, but um, in terms of how to structure a portfolio or in terms of how I, I would structure a portfolio, you have to have like a core holding, right? Um, and I think that depending on whether or not, the first question is you need to ask yourself, what's your risk tolerance? And I know that sounds kind of cliche, but it is, it's super important, right? Like, are you trying to maintain wealth or are you ty- trying to create wealth? Um, so maintenance is really about just making sure, is really about protecting your downside. So your volatility of returns, the amount of risks that you want to take should be significantly lower than if you're actually trying to generate and create wealth. So a lot of the stuff that I see is like, okay, let's have this all option portfolio or what stock should I buy? Excuse me, or how long should I hold X, Y, and Z? For me, it's always easier for me to make small alterations when I have a core position that I like. So <clears throat> to give you an example, uh, 70% stocks, 30% bonds, right? That's something super vanilla. Or 60% stocks, 40% bonds, or, or, or an, an index uh, fund that does that. Because now when you're, I'm not suggesting that you actually trade different bonds, because that, that's, that becomes much more complicated. If you have an yeah. institutional backer or institutional firm that will deploy this capital for you, sure. Stocks and bonds and any kind of uh, balance that that works for you. For someone who's like kind of just getting started, I would look at either like a Vanguard index fund or an SPY ETF, um, and that will give you general exposure, and we'll get more into ETFs later. But personally, in some of my investments, I'm like 80-20. I'm relatively young. I'm 37 years old, um, and I'm not risk averse. And um, mm-hmm. I've had to kind of like get this out of the mud, right? So I'm fine with the risks. Um, but yeah, if, if, if you're asking me like kind of what I have for some of like my 401k allocations or different tranches of investing, and we can get into that later, but just a core position, I think if you have 60 to 70%, anywhere between 60 and 80% stock, anywhere between uh, 20 to 40% bonds and if you want to sprinkle in or like a bond index like agg will give you that um you want to sprinkle in commodities or something like that that's fine too but i think the the basics are stocks and bonds and that's because when you look at a company you have debt and you have equity either you are a a financer of a company or you're an equity holder of a company and i think that breaks it down in like its most um breaks it down and it's like real core essence and essentially make yourself like you would a bank, a bank either lends money or a bank takes a position in something. Mm -hmm. And personally, I try to replicate that.
2: But what about the people who say, well, that's great. Let me ask you a question that's 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 safe, um, but I need to make money.
3: Um. I mean, seventy-eight percent stock isn't safe. I mean, it's you know the, the long-term returns are seven to ten percent, but it's not safe. Look at look at what the market has done from February to March. Look at what the market has done from March to now. I, I don't think that's that's safe. Look at what the market did in Q four of two thousand eighteen. So safe is like a, a, a relative word. If you're trying to, um, and I'm probably gonna regret saying this, if you're trying to make trap-like returns, I mean, this isn't, that's not what this is, right? This isn't quick flip, this isn't make 50 into 150 overnight. Um, you know, I'm not gonna get it, uh, I can't get up here in good conscience and, and suggest that to anyone. Um, if you want an increased amount of risk, you can still take that core portfolio and have that be your core, and then you slice off small pieces and take much higher risk, much higher beta, if you want to get, get into some of the technical terms, much higher um, R-squared or volatility uh, uh, types of investment. But the, the key is having a core position. Because if you don't have a base, you'll just you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you need to tweak. And you're just not involved in the market, generally speaking.
0: So, Bowen, real quick, you said that, you know, the basis would be stocks and bonds, right? So I'm thinking, and a lot of our, our audiences, like, they're into options. I know Ian always suggests, like, yo, take 500 jump shots when you're trading. When do you think it would be a good time, or is there a good time, or a certain amount of trades that somebody should do or be involved in before they get into the options play?
3: Okay, no, that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, let, let me. Can I take a, just a quick step back? Before I move forward, um, if you all don't mind. So when I say 70-30, sure. right, what I'm trying to do is, is give you something that's what we call an investable or replicable portfolio. Like clearly, I, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of owning real estate. I'm a proponent of holding, of holding operating companies. I'm a proponent of, of all of that. But I want to be able, I want to make sure that I'm like giving you guys information that's actionable for me to go say, hey, you should buy this type of company or a private company. I mean you have to be an accredited accredited investor to to invest in private. So yeah, I, I definitely think that should be part of your portfolio. But right now we're we're assuming I'm I'm assuming that we're trying to make money and that you don't have a quarter million dollars of disposable income that you can invest and not care. One, to be an accredited investor, I believe you have to have like a million dollars of of liquid assets or make a quarter million dollars a year. And that, that's that's super high risk. I do think that there is room for that in a portfolio, mm-hmm. but I'm purely talking about publicly traded securities. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, in terms of options trading, listen, I love options. Options have been good to me. That's, that's my bread and butter. Um, but man, like Ian, great question, man. Some of the stuff that I'm seeing is like literally having a portfolio of options. I mentioned this last, last episode or the last episode I was on, right? Options give you leverage to and control of. That's very different than ownership, right? Um, options are all about timing amongst other things. Volatility inputs, I'll dive into all that stuff. But you're betting that something is going to happen by a certain period of time that is very dangerous to have all of your investable capital in a portfolio of options. Because I think of a portfolio as a going concern. If you listen to uh, Vogel, Dalio, um, uh, I mean, the, the, the Oracle of Omaha, Graham, all of the greats, right, all of them, right mm-hmm. what they'll tell you is that time value of money is the the, the thing that's working behind you it's like the core tenant of finance so you need compounding over time and so what you need are securities that can that can be um, a mm-hmm. linchpin of your investment portfolio out 10 20 30 50 100 years and then you tweak around that so at what point should you have An options portfolio, personally, I would, for me, never. I'm never going to have a portfolio of just options. At what point should you trade options Um, as as soon as you're comfortable and understand the risks associated with those options? I don't want you to shy away from them. I wouldn't suggest, I, I would never suggest that anyone not Use all the tools available to them in their toolkit. I just want to be very clear about investing, trading, core holdings versus trading positions. Not trading positions, investing is about holding for the long term or about holding for a certain target return on investment or IRR or whatever other way you want to um, uh, judge uh, your, your return. Does that, does that answer your question um, thoroughly enough? It if I can play Devon, let, let me ask you turn? a question, bottom line. What you um, recommend,
2: what you do 50% of the time now? It seems like... Yes. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, what yeah. you recommend?
1: Yeah.
2: No, go ahead.
3: And this Zoom lag is like serious. Um, okay, so the, the question that I heard was. Shaggle. Um, I, I, I didn't he- I didn't hear Troy or. I, I heard you say something about okay, so what percentage devil's advocate, what percentage would you allocate to options versus uh, stocks? Your options typically are probably. Break it down in terms of like return on investment or yeah. percentage return, right? So, if you're going to own an option and you're going to pay, I don't know, a dollar or two dollars for it, versus paying fifty dollars or a hundred dollars for a stock, right? So your two dollars, um, you know, that's going to be about five percent of, you know, of of that fifty dollar that you would allocate. You can make a similar return on a much lower portion of capital expended, right? So I would say, okay, well, if you're expecting to make uh uh 20 or 5 percent would be 20x what you're making on your core core portfolio then you should only i would allocate a fifth to that particular options trade Mm -hmm. right it's all about like balancing the ratio in terms of expected returns if i expect to make 10x on an option then i'm only going to really probably do it Mm -hmm. right um if you are playing something that's like longer dated or you don't expect to make the same type of returns, I think you can invest a bit more, but options decay, right? Like stock isn't going to zero unless the thing goes bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to, you're going to recoup something. And bankruptcies happen. Options. If they don't finish in the money quite literally decay to zero.
2: So, so, I, so I want to ask a question uh, that everyone is is gonna ask later. And if I can get 10x okay. in a year, why only put one fifth in when I'm only gonna get 10 to 20 percent long term? I'm playing devil's advocate because I'm gonna get a thousand so, people to ask me this question. If you're
3: I'm saying if you can get 10x, mm-hmm. invest a tenth. You have then, so okay. But because so people want to do half
2: and of, half, yeah.
3: I can't tell people what to do, right? I I want to be very cautious about saying do this, don't do that. Yeah. We're we're all adults here, and ultimately, your risk tolerance will determine how you're willing, how you know how you're willing to kind of deploy capital. What I'm saying is, looking at the returns is half probably not even half of the equation, particularly when you're a professional investor and and a a retail person can still be a professional investor. If this is what you say you do, if this is a hobby and you kind of want to just put a little money in the game, go for it, right? Because it's all about the learning experience and your enjoyment. If you're saying, this is what I do, you go to raise capital or you're talking to your client and you talk about returns, any astute investor, the next question out of their mouth is gonna say, what's your volatility of returns? How much risk do you take to get those mm. returns? And so I, I, I really wanna to touch on, um, you know, volatility in your portfolio, variance. You have things like standard deviation, R squared, sharp ratios, all of these things measure, and these are like, I, I would suggest you look these terms up. These are measures of return as they pertain to risk taken to achieve that return. So if you go back to like your most basic like capital asset pricing model, right? You move up risk, you should move up in return. But if I can take um, one unit of risk and get one unit of return and you're taking two units of risk to get that same return you're not doing something. I would sell sell whatever it is to you and buy whatever I'm getting Mm -hmm. all day. And so I think the the next part of that is, so for, for options, people talk about, okay, I can make 10X. You can make 10X for a certain factor of risk. What I would say is you can find something safer, deploy capital there and just scale because you can grow the amount of capital that you're allocating there or, or your notional exposure is what we call it. But if you keep your risk low, all you need to do is scale that same that same exposure. It's what banks do. It's what sovereign entities do. It's I mean, it's it's the basic of the banking system. It's like if you go to the bank, you put in deposits. They lend nine times on that. That's mm-hmm. super safe. Yeah. Excuse me. A super safe business model. They just scale it. And you, I mean, I'll be the bank. You show me a bank that doesn't print money, right? They don't exist because if they don't make money, they go out of business. Um, so, sorry, I, again, I, I wanted to dive in a bit deeper. I know that answer varied a bit, but it's not cut and dry. Like 50%, unless you're in options that are as safe as whatever else, your op, whatever other alternative asset you'd be investing in, I just don't think you can say this return versus this return and, and therefore I should structure my portfolio this way. It's like, it's the whole reason you have stocks versus bonds. Like, why would I even bother suggesting that you allocate any money towards bonds, which is the largest market, right? Treasuries, like the largest Mm -hmm. asset. Why bother even investing in that stuff if it's all about return?
2: That's a great point. So so what's a good safety range for volatility in your portfolio? So if you're looking at like your alter also index or anything similar, like what's the safe range that you want to be in?
3: Um, overall portfolio. I mean, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, a, a pullback or a correction in equities is considered 10%. percent hmm I'm fine with that from an index standpoint. Okay. When it comes to trading single stocks, man, much more, much more risk tolerance. Individual companies, um, 20, 30%. uh, But again, this is me. Now, um, and then I want to take it a step further. If I'm looking at a growth company, 25, 50%, that's just, that's what you're signing up for. If I'm talking about like a more cyclical, a utility company, Something that's like not going to grow, um, I'm going to probably cut that down by, by two-thirds. Right? So.
4: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
5: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
3: So, you know, my 30%, okay, I'll take about 10% there. My 60%, okay, I'm going to take about 20% there. Um, you know, it's it's really about the ask us. And then when it comes to bonds, mm-hmm. uh, m- much lower, much lower volatility of returns. Really, typically what this stuff is measured on is like standard deviation. So you're going to go back and you're going to say, okay, how much has this moved from the life of this investment? And that's my average move. And then how many... How many multiples of that average am I willing to take? So anything within a standard deviation, I'm fine with, right? That's that's your standard normal distribution. You should expect things to move there. When I start to see what we call two, three, four sigma moves or four standard deviations, you shouldn't yeah. be holding on to things that long. And then, you know, there's a term called six sigma event, which is like your black swan, things that really shouldn't happen, um, things that are happening now, oddly. Enough. Right now, yes. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm really trying to give you kind of a, a all seasons type of investment strategy, but truthfully it's gonna, you're gonna, really what I would do is I'd pick an index because if you're looking at investing, right, you always have some type of benchmark. Mm-hmm. And that's why I go back to saying, listen, you gotta have a core, you gotta have something to compare to. You gotta be tethered to something or you just float. So you look at your benchmark and you say, okay, that thing has um, a standard deviation of, I don't know, five. All right. Now, how many more standard deviations am I willing to take if what I'm trying to replicate is tethered to that? And that would answer, I think that, that not only answers the question directly, that gives you the tool to, to determine what it is that you're benchmarking that particular uh, investment to, and then determine how much risk you're willing to bear around that
2: and how much should you be willing to draw down let's say if you do okay so you have long term you have bonds what about options futures and any exotic derivatives if you're like structure and let's say you have um, 20% left for options futures and, and anything exotic
3: okay so um in terms of the exotic stuff um you know that that you'll need like an isda to trade at least what we define as exotics which are like Bespoke option investments that are tailored to you. Yeah. Me, you're going to have to have an ISDA with a bank to be able to do that. You don't have to be a high net worth individual, whereas an institution, you're going to have to have what you call an ISDA. So um, I'm going to just like take that off the table because I just don't think it's like okay. very relevant. Uh, I think that if you are if you're young and risk-loving and you have like a stable source of income, I think you should go for it mm-hmm. intelligently. That doesn't mean just go buying a strip of options, right? But the same, the same portfolio that you have at 25 or 35 is not the same portfolio that you should have at 55 or 65. So I, I want to make sure I, I answer these questions in a way that apply to everyone but that I don't give like a blanket statement that is damaging, right? You, you, back to your first question, like these one size fits all answers are often given by people that don't have the information to give you a more specific answer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in terms of options and futures, right? It's about opportunity cost. So if you're saying, okay, right now, what I own is I own spy I own, uh, I own the AGG. Um, and then I've sprinkled in a little bit of Apple and Amazon and zoom or whatever else. Right. I would say, okay, so you have a core position. You clearly are have a risk appetite because you're investing in growth companies that have revenues oftentimes that are like much farther in the future. And that's why these companies are sensitive to inflation because you're discounting their cash flows over certain periods of time. Um, i would say if you if you truly understand options and you're willing to trade them then i would say sure like sure take 5 10 15 maybe 20%. the thing if you're trading options properly you don't need that much. that that that's the really the point i'm trying to make like you don't you, you don't you don't need much like you can literally make 20% like the issue is that people aren't willing to take doubles and singles and triples, right? It's like all or nothing home runs. Like, so if you're investing a dollar in options and you make 30 cents, you're like, ah, oh, it's 30 cents. It's nothing. I'm like, you just made 30%. Mm-hmm. Show me a fund that returns 30% year on year. And I'm saying if you can do that routinely, just scale your position. Mm-hmm.
2: That's a great point. Um, Rashad wanted me to ask you, what are your thoughts on like IBB and the pharma sector going into the next uh, four years since Trump is uh, seeming like he's going to concede here pretty soon? I mean,
3: I'm not going to speculate on what Trump's going to do, but um,
2: yeah, it, it <laughs> seems point. that
3: way. It's, uh, that's a good, good question, timely question. Uh, as for IBB, so i mentioned it a couple times. Um, really, I have been unwilling to take stock-specific risk on vaccine uh, companies, right? You've seen Pfizer-BioNTech came out with a vaccine, which and this stuff is kind of funny to me, right? came out, I think the efficacy rate was like 90%. Then Moderna came out, Mm -hmm. and they had 94.5%. Then Pfizer was like, oh, we didn't finish our trial. It's actually 95%. Then AstraZeneca came out today and was like, okay, well, we have one. If we give the proper dosing, which is two doses, I think it was – 65 or 70 percent but we actually gave a half a dose and then followed up by another dose and that one's 80 or close to 90 percent so it's you know i like and what you've seen is on the news those particular stocks run up then the next entrant comes out and that stock sells off and the new stock pops and it's kind of been somewhat of a of a domino effect um, so that's why yeah. I suggested IVB because it's like a biotech ETF that gives you the, the, the thematic exposure, right? Here, I don't have a strong view. So my view on, mm-hmm. on COVID and a vaccine is not the same as me having a view on this particular company. This is an isolated event, an isolated pandemic. There's a solution here. There's going to be a truncated timeline in terms of when you're going to be able to derive revenue and profitability from this particular event. So I, I, I'm, I find it challenging for me to try to extrapolate like a, a whole business use case off of this one event. And that's why I liked IVB. Um, I think there was actually um, on CNBC, stainless plug. there's a, I think it was a um, analyst from Jeffrey's who came out and made some really good points in terms of, okay, so it's one thing now to, to, to have the clinical trials and have this vaccine. It's a completely different, uh, there's completely different structural and uh, administrative logistical issues challenges in terms of manufacturing and distributing um, the vaccine and that's where the challenge really is going to be um, Ibb if I remember correctly was' been training training in like this 130 to 145 type of range I-, I think that range kind of holds I don't really I don't really see a ton of upside in that from here so um I think, I think it'll be challenge and those individual.
2: Now, given, um, you've told us how to structure a portfolio. Why do you think it's hard for people to stick to a plan, even though you're a professional and you do this for a living? Why do you think people still try and deviate? And can you explain that if you continue to tinker and try and accelerate your plan that you can end up breaking something that does work?
3: Yeah. Um, it's human nature, it's FOMO, right? It's like, there's always, and, um, you know, it's, it's political in nature, it's media coverage. Like you you always get bombarded and blitzed with like the new hot thing. No one talks about like the slow and steady race, um, slow and steady kind of grind to where you've gotten. And, um, Man, I, I just, I, I think it's FOMO, really. I, I think people um, want instant gratification. And that's just not what this game really is, a, is about. I mean, you can make it, um, but for every winner, there's probably two or three losers. And uh, the game, at least the, the way I've played it and the, the way it's worked for me, the game isn't about just celebrating winners. It's about cutting those losses before they become cancerous and ruin your portfolio. And so that, and that's equally as important, if not more important um, is being disciplined in a way that allows you to remove things from your life. Generally speaking, you know what, you Mm -hmm. you guys are always on here talking about like, I love how you give like holistic advice, right? Removing things from your life before they grow um, and just fester, and create irreparable damage, right? Um, I'm speaking about investments here, but I think that like just generally applicable across the board. Um, I I really hope that kind of answers your question. I just think it's like, it's a lack of discipline. I think that you're, you're kind of bombarded by social media, especially now and even traditional media that's always talking about the next hot thing. You gotta be in this, you gotta be in that, you gotta be in this. Things take time. Good things take a lot of time don't be afraid to kind of like slow cook your stew, keep it to yourself and keep things kind of moving onward and upward. So um, yeah, profitability is boring. Being wealthy is boring. Owning assets mm-hmm. is boring. It's yeah. not flashy. It's it's the antithesis of that. Like not being a consumer is boring. Mm-hmm. Like, so um, like for me and I know for for you guys, like, it's like you, you kind of nerd out on this stuff right like i genuinely am like i i want to know about this company oh if someone's wearing that who makes that and so when you when you kind of shift your mindset to that like fine go buy some nikes and then spend the 250 that you spent on some jays go buy 250 worth of, of nike stuff if you're gonna go buy the louis bag not not my thing but if you do mm-hmm. buy the same amount of lbmh Hell, you're helping to drive their revenues, and so, you know, like I, I think it's it's getting into that 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 ownership, um, that ownership mindset.
2: Um, Troy wants to know what are the catalysts that will make an ETF optionable, and then Rashad wants to know what do you think the prospects of marijuana over the next four or five years? Um, I know you have talked about MJ before, but do you think that it's going to be viable within the next four to ten years? and kind of go on a cataclysmic run, uh, maybe here in the next half decade or so.
3: So, um, yeah, MJ, I've mentioned uh, one of the guys on the show actually owns an ETF, CNBS. Um, I I just, because I'm going to mention it, so I want to make sure that it's full disclosure there, um, which is definitely more tailored. And I sat down and had a chance to talk with him. Um, He's much more of a... Excuse me, of a sitting expert on that topic than I am in terms of the, the actual nitty-gritty uh, financial details of each one of those companies, right? And, he, and his ETF, CNBS, which I'm also an owner of, I uh, own MJ, is a bit more tailored to U.S. domestic growth, right? And so if you look at right now, it's, it's really like a legal situation, right? Political situation. Is Do you believe over the long term that the state legislation will be robust and then lead to federal legislation. And I would liken it to prohibition, right? Like, fine, you've got Bud or Miller and all these other, um, InBev and, and, and all these other companies. But like, I personally don't want to be um, on the front lines trying to pick individual companies like in mass, right? Like thematically, mm-hmm. I definitely believe, I do. I believe it. I think it's the next hot thing. Like, so, you know, um, what you have is medical use. You have recreational use. You have a government that needs an increased tax base. Um, Kind of have all the makings for thematically why I think this has long-term staying power. The issue is that uh, you can't really invest as an institution. You can't really bank as a marijuana company. Right. So like, Mm-hmm. The, the money has yet to really be injected into our financial system in a way that allows there to be um, institutional investment on a large scale. You're seeing it with Bitcoin now. Bitcoin's yeah. been here before. The difference is that institutions can can allocate capital, right? So we're all talking about, which should I buy? Which should I sell? Which should I trade? For the largest asset managers, a lot of them are like allocating towards something. It's not about buying it and then mm-hmm. selling out of it. It's like, we're going to keep a portion of our holdings in this asset. And once marijuana, the marijuana industry kind of is is accepted and adopted in that type of way, I think it's, I personally think you have massive upside. What I don't want is, I don't want exposure to the individual fraud cases, which undoubtedly will come. Um, I don't want the one-off exposure to court management or robberies or grades or non-compliance or any of that so that's why I like playing it through a thematic way and that's why I suggest an ETF there or I have
2: played an ETF there. Okay and from a strategy point what do you from a strategy point what do you wish that you knew from the very beginning that would have made your career and getting gains a lot easier?
3: Oh man Um, boom, that nobody knows, that nobody knows, that you, that you have as much um, information, ability, and know-how at your own fingertips as anybody else that's going to get up and talk their head off about it. Um, That's not to say that there's no experts, but Don't victimize yourself in terms of your ability to do this, right? Don't sell yourself short. And like, for me, that was, and I'm not saying that's the most important lesson. That was the most important lesson for me because I'm the type of person that's kind of a perfectionist. And I'm like, I need to read this. I need to read that. I got to make sure I do this. I got to check this. I got to check that. Well, what happens if this happens? And if I had just, um, if I had just gotten started earlier and been willing to take the risk earlier understanding my temperament right like I'm not the type I don't I don't skydive I don't bungee jump I'm like too many life risks already as it is right so knowing my personality type I'm gonna do the due diligence and what I and I think very early on in my career I was so awestruck by the whole ethos of Wall Street all these are the best and the brightest and and the truth of the matter is we and, and this is the reason why I'm here because we belong we belong here we deserve to be here, um, and and uh, that would that would have been that would have been super powerful for me early on um, to, to to really recognize that.
2: So last time you were here, you gave us the calculation with the VIX of how to determine the true range, and the internet went crazy. Do you have any other calculations or formulas like that that you can give us so you can um, break the internet again?
3: <laughs> so, I mean, I think Zoom's already more. broke the internet. But, yeah, I, I think, I, think I, I have a couple for you. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to make sure I go back over this, right? So, you want to – so, this is, like, options 101, right? And what I was talking about was the BIX. And so, the, the BIX is an implied volatility index. So, anytime you have an implied volatility, it's normalized. So, take that divided by roughly 16, really divided by the square root of 252. And that will give you the implied move on an annualized basis. The implied daily move on an annualized basis. Taking that a step further, I would say, um, and this is for all my option traders out there, look at the spread and the ratio of implied versus realized volatility. That say
2: will that it give here. you... Pardon? Say that one more time.
3: So I would like—I think it would be very helpful, and something that I look at. Take a look at the implied volatility, and if all your trading, all the option trading montages will have, it'll be like IV. Mm-hmm. That just tells you what the implied—and actually, I'm going to—I'm going to—I'm going to—I'm going to sit on this. I'm, I'm going to spend some time here. That will tell you what the implied volatility is. The other half of that is what the realized volatility is. Implied is an is a is an assumption and an input. Into a model that kicks out what you have, what you take as your options price. The realized volatility is how much that stock actually realizes. And so if you continue to purchase implied volatility, but the stock doesn't realize that, mm-hmm. you might think you're winning, but guys on the other side are also it doesn't necessarily have to be a zero game. So like I said, I'm going to, you can tell me to shut up, but I'm going to spend a little bit of time here because I
2: think this is as
3: powerful as that. Okay. So for most people, retail investors, when you're buying a call or a put, you're buying a call because you think a stock is going to go up. You're buying a put because you think a stock is going to go down and vice versa by, by selling or writing those particular options. So what I'm saying is for me, way that i grew up trading and this is on the institutional side you will look at the dollar price and i'm like i don't care what that is you need directional exposure for you to win i don't care whether the stock goes up down left right or anything in between i'm betting because what i'm doing is i'm stripping out all of that and i'm trading volatility so when you, when you look at your, your TD Ameritrade or E-Trade, or man, now I got to say them all, uh, <laughs> stock trade, Schwab, uh, in, um, interactive Robinhood. broker, Robinhood, yeah. all of them, none of, none of them are better than any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. When, when you see your implied volatility there, what that is telling you is you take your price, your forward your stock price, dividend assumptions, interest rates, blah, 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 all of this stuff, right? And what you can do is you can strip out, excuse me, you can strip out the implied volatility. And that's the most powerful piece. That's the most powerful input in terms of your option price. And so you may say, hey, Apple's a great stock. I'm gonna buy calls. Whether it's at the money calls, in the money calls, upside calls, you're like, I want exposure to Apple stocks. The options only cost me five bucks stock trades at 400 bucks. This is a good trade. And I go, okay, that that $5 that you just paid, that actually is a 160 ball. It's going to use a nice round number, implying that the stock is going to move 10% a day from now until that expiration. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sell you that call. I'm going to go buy the stock and I'm going to delta hedge. And I don't care if it goes up or down. As long as it doesn't go up or down, it's rate of change that I'm trading. As long as it doesn't go up or down by the 10% that you just paid for it, I win. Okay. And that's what and you're, it? that's what you're trading. Pardon?
2: No, no, go ahead. Go ahead.
3: Um And so I I, I just, I, and that's why like the volatility that you're paying for these options is so critical. And, and I, you asked about it earlier, but I, I'm, I'm getting into it now. And I, I knew I'd get a chance to kind of, to get to the, this. this is the nitty gritty of options trading. So, <laughs> And this is why I was, I was hesitant to give you a, a cut and dry answer in terms of how much of my portfolio should be in stock and bonds or whatever, how much my portfolio should be in, in options, because it depends on what implied volatility you're paying. If you're paying an implied volatility, that's go back and look historically. So, so uh, let me add another thing. So look at the implied volatility of a stock and look at the historical implied volatility. The same way that you look at a stock, stock chart and look at the, the, the range of the stock. And I would say, uh, stock price is one thing. What we should probably look at is like the price to earnings ratio or price to earnings to growth. But some ratio, right? That tethers you to something that gives you a base. And I'm going to keep coming back to that word, base. So go back and and see, okay, this has had this implied volatility over the life cycle of this company or over whatever time period you think is applicable. And then look and see what it's what it is right now. If you're buying that stuff on the highs, then one, the, the, the amount that the stock has to move for you to finish in the money is much higher. Mm-hmm. You're probably better off just buying the stock if you're, if you're using options to take a directional view. That's, that's the first part, right? So options, look at your implied volatility, look at the realized volatility, and then look at where I mean, for me, like I'm, I'm looking at more statistics, look at what percentile those particular things are in. So if, if I'm seeing something that's in like the top, you know, decile, right? Like the, the top 10% of implied volatility, I probably don't want to buy that. The exact opposite in the bottom 10%. Most of the time it's going to be moving around like the median or the mean. But when you start to see, and then you're, and then if you, if you, it will also, you can put, do this in an Excel spreadsheet, but uh, average or mean median you can do uh, standard deviation STdeB you can do variance Excel will do all of this for you and if I'm if I'm you know if I'm buying something in the top quartile or the top decile I no no thank you I'll just buy the stock if that's if I'm playing it for a directional point of view and the exact opposite if things are in like very low uh, quartiles or, or percentiles um, the other thing is, so another thing for options is if you're long the stock and you notice that the implied volatility is super high, something that I like doing is selling calls. Even though you love the stock, it's not about the fact that, oh, I I have to buy calls because I want the stock. The the implied volatility is too high for that call, which is gonna drive the higher the implied volatility and and Guys, tell me if I'm getting too far in the weeds.
2: No, you're good, go ahead.
3: You have have your delta, right? Your delta is your, it's many things, hedge ratio for one, but it's your probability of finishing in the money. And that takes me to the next question. So how do I pick to be in the money, at the money, Mm -hmm. out of the money? All right, check, look at the delta of that thing. 50 delta means coin flip. 50% that it's gonna be in the money, 50% that it's not gonna be in the money. And the lower the delta, the lower the probability of the lower the probability of those things finishing in the money. Now, and I think this is the VIX moment, the the higher the implied volatility drives your delta back towards 50. So the more expensive the option will drive your delta back towards 50 those are the times where i'm not playing options that are close to the money because the implied volatility is so high but the out of the money options it means that that delta can change so much higher and get driven to 50 so a 20 delta if i'm going to play options and i'm going to and it's going to be a lot a lot of implied volatility i'm probably going to play something out of the money because it will at least pull my delta closer to 50 as long as that implied volatility stays high. Excuse me. Perfect. I I kind of went off. No, no, no.
2: That's great. And everybody on YouTube is loving it too. Um, I got a follow-up from Troy. So obviously there's no way to time a trade, but uh, would you give, after quadruple witching, would you give a time to settle or would you invest when the chain opens?
3: Sorry, I I missed that last part.
2: Well, would you invest as soon as the chain is open or would you give a time to settle? Post quad
3: witching. Sorry, can you, can you start the question from the beginning? I, I apologize.
2: No, so during quadruple witching, is it okay. best to trade yeah, you, when the chain is settled or should you invest as soon as it opens?
3: Um, so your your quadruple witching is going to be when you have like your futures and all your options, like index, stocks and everything like expiring. So I, I, I'm a little confused by the question because like, those things are gone. If you're talking about like wrote, like rolling them,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you're going to have to roll before that witching period or expiry or expiration is, is what I call it. So, and, and that's really the risk there with options. It's like, okay, it has a time period. The witching period that you're referring to is when all this stuff rolls off for futures, you're going to need to roll out of whatever you're long into the next contract. Yeah. And, you know, we've, If you're taking, like, ESA or SPOOs, it's like HMUZ, right? You're you're March, June, December. The issue, though, is, like, a lot of that stuff is institutionally driven. So if you're waiting right to before that stuff expires. You're in trouble. You're, like, always going to pay some premium to roll up and out. Like, you are. Because these people need these futures positions to hedge they have to put them on and the amount of no that's being traded is is going to push it against you and it's not going to be because oh this futures contract should be higher it's purely supply and demand Uh, for options um, when I'm writing options I'm cool to let them expire when I'm buying options I very rarely let them expire
2: okay and from a hedging perspective so let's say if, if VIX is at 24 divide by 16 that puts us at 1.5 so if you were looking to place a stop what percentage of that range would you place your stop if you know that you're going to have a range of maybe one one and a half or two percent for the day
3: so that's like okay so that's going to be an implied range Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Um, so things can move less or more than that just to be very clear it's not a crystal ball it's a um so okay so if the if the, VIX, say the VIX is 24 um, for that particular day, for that day, um, one and a half to two X that.
2: Okay. And of course, everyone traditionally says to invest in bonds and gold to hedge, but depending on what the timing of it, it may not have worked, what is the best way you think that people should be hedging their portfolio? like? Is, should you add certain commodities, a certain percentage of gold? Because everything is running high. The bond market was high in August. Gold is still running almost it feels like an index. Uh, what do you think is the best way to hedge, truly, in this market for like an all seasons type strategy for people that are looking all get-
3: seasons? Yeah, let's 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 yeah. talk about that a little bit. Um, so, my, I'm going to answer your question with a question. What are you trying to hedge? Because, like. Um, and I'm not trying to be like the or are difficult. Like, I just want to make sure, like, I really want to take this time to make sure that like the, the audience is like, like understands because you hear like these buzzwords thrown out. So gold is typically like a store of wealth. And so it's considered kind of an all, all scenario hedge, right? It's a commodity. So it's an inflation hedge. Um, it is considered a store of wealth. So it's a hedge against people running for running for banks or sell-offs uh, and, and other risk assets. But gold is still a commodity, um, which means that it's like bought and sold just as a store of wealth, meaning like it doesn't really have a use case. And so, um, and I think that's kind of getting exposed now and, and kind of why you're seeing Bitcoin and some some of uh, these other other alternative assets kind of come to play. Um, one one important thing to keep in mind is that like commodities, generally speaking, internationally are listed in dollars, and that's the real reason that these things that it's considered a hedge in the way that it is. Right, if you have like massive inflationary pressure, you typically want to want more exposure to commodities, but it's not because the commodities are it's it's more like a technical situation, right? Crude mm-hmm. is denominated in dollars or oil, sorry. Not gas denominated in dollars. Gold, palladium, platinum, everything else denominated in dollars. So if it takes more of the dollars to buy whatever it is, it it's it's like a, a tactical or or technical type of um sorry, not technical, a mechanical type of hedge.
2: Okay. Um, yeah, I think people's biggest fear is okay. Well, what if I invest in tech, tan indexes, and I don't have exposure to anything else? And it bottoms out. unless let's say we have a fifty percent correction. I should have been hedged with gold, bonds, and of course, you know, the news oh, okay. cycle.
3: Okay, okay, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got so, it, got so, it, got
2: so it. maybe like twenty to twenty five percent drawdowns. What? Gotcha, gotcha. Gotcha.
3: Gotcha. Like. Okay. Thank you. Sorry, I, I didn't understand very well the first time. So, um, yeah. So the bonds typically, and I say typically only because. You, we saw bonds get absolutely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a, a rare event, but bonds typically have like a much narrower. Now, when I'm talking about bonds, I'm talking about treasuries and I'm talking about high-grade corporates. If you're playing in high yield, that's yeah. more like equity return. So, like, I want to be very clear when I say bonds. Excuse me those are typically going to have much narrower bands of volatility. So even when the stock market crashes off, in even in the same company, and I, and I think this might answer your question. So when you look at the capital structure of a company or how a company funds itself, right? It has bonds or debt, loans, however you want to classify those. And then it has equity. And that's pretty much all of, sources of cash for a company. Now, if a company crashes crazy, but still has enough money to service its debt, that debt can still continue to to earn whatever interest rate that it was scheduled to earn, even though the equity is getting destroyed. In a bankruptcy situation, what's typically going to happen is that all of the equity holders are going to be wiped out. If it's a chapter 11 or kind of a reorder, you're going to restructure the debt. You're going to allow yourself to, to pay back your, your bondholders over maybe different terms, different period of time, different interest rate, so forth and so on. And that's going to come at the expense of equity holders. So I think that's why bonds are thought of as a hedge, um, the general market. I think I've explained to you why gold is considered a hedge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think volatility should be a hedge. If you're going to spend a ton of money buying calls, you should consider buying some puts as well. Um, and do that when fall is at low ranges. Now it's insurance, right? Like, but that's the ultimate hedge is insurance. And you have insurance with anything. Typically you don't need it. You pay this premium. It sucks, but, like you go on about your day, but if you do that in like in, in in, lo- in ranges where you're paying small premiums, you have the ultimate hedge.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so the, the best hedge would be if you're buying like a ba- an index is a put on that index, but buy it out of the money. Like I'm not, I don't think you should continue. Okay. So I, so I bought this for a hundred. Now I'm going to get the hundred strike put like, no, yeah. buy like the 90 strike put or you're, you're really worried about a 50% sell off by the put that's down 30%. You'll pay close to nothing for it. And you, you don't have to worry about it. Um, what we call correlation or proxy hedging, because there's times where stocks go down and bonds go down and you're seeing it out stocks up, gold up, credit up. So, you know, the, the, these are, these are proxy hedges, but it's never perfect. The best hedge would be insurance on what you own. Um, and, I just think, you know, if you're buying it for low volatility out of the money, you're typically going to pay a very small percentage for the, the event that you're really trying to protect against. And that event is something that cripples your capital base to a level where you can't really come back from. 10 percent, 15 percent, 20 percent, that's what you're signing up for. That's a, that's a standard issue in terms of equity performance. But, you know, you shouldn't allow your portfolio to get down 35, 40, 45 percent. Uh, stops would be another um, another form of insurance, which I would always suggest trading with a stop.
2: And what what percentage do you think would be a safe allocation for those who who are going to ask? Should it be twenty percent, twenty five percent? What would be your cutoff for, point? For
3: options or for stops? For stocks? No, so no, so sorry, sorry. Stops, S T
2: O. Oh, stops. Okay, okay, got you.
3: Um, the the. The options, I would say, okay, if you have a uh, hundred units invested, how much does it cost you to protect a hundred units? That's the amount mm-hmm. that you should, that you should put it. Or, okay. If I, if I have a hundred units and I'm, and I'm willing to lose 20 units, how much does it cost you to recoup 80 units? And, and again, I, 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 I wish there was just like this uniform answer, but an like an easy answer, yeah. That, like that's, um, that's kind of what I'm talking. Like it it doesn't it doesn't work that way, right? Like you gotta put in either you put in the time or someone like Ian puts in the time and then kind of schools you to the game. But it's 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 a zero sum game. So fine, you don't have 13 years, 15 years, 20 years to to kind of replicate the amount of time that that is. Been spent learning lessons in the game fine but you've got to make that up with sweat equity and 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 rigorous study and dedication and like that's just kind of kind of what it is um, generally speaking uh i pick my stops based on previous technical levels this is when i'm just trading my okay. my portfolio i have like my like core holdings i've only like Gone to cash in that situation on a bulk of that, like, like once. And I don't want to misspeak, mm. but I can think of like one time, and it's recent. <laughs> in March? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to get into that.
2: I but. got that. I understand.
3: <laughs> but, um, yes, I, but, but with that said, I always keep a certain amount of money in the market. Okay. Even in periods like March. Okay, because my for that particular bucket is forty years, thirty years.
2: And given where we are in a a macro cycle, what do you think of SPACs and the current IPO market? People ask me. I'm just asking the questions that people want to know.
3: No, 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 no. Um, I was sorry that my response wasn't like that's a dumb question. I was just like, it's just shocking the proliferation of these things. Um, Listen, I think, uh, I, think, I think SPACs have some good aspects to them in terms of like, they allow you to, uh, to get, um, they allow you to kind of get like revenue projections, right? Which is like some type of visibility. I, I'm always hesitant to like be so old school and buck against like new innovation. Mm-hmm. So I think the market is ripe for it. What, really what I think it is, is the market is telling you it wants growth. And the reason why it wants growth, because growth has outperformed for the last, I don't know, decade plus. Additionally, and I, and I realize that there's been a rotation into value as of late. With interest rates so low, the rate at which you're discounting future revenues is extremely low, which makes those very attractive. Mm-hmm. As for the SPACs, um, I want to make sure I answer the question uh, very very um, directly. I think there's like a 20% rip in terms of like management fee, which is like kind of kind That's of high. Uh, yep. And uh, I, I think you have like a two-year period to identify like what you're targeted. So you're kind of essentially saying, okay, X, Y, and Z investor, here's money, go find something to deploy capital that is that is deserving of this investment. I mean, it's just—I um, think it's a bit frothy. I think the IPO market is a bit is a bit frothy. I think the SPAC market is a bit frothy, but I think it's a function of where we are in terms of like uh, our, our fiscal situation. Um, interest rates are so low. People want growth. The market has kind of continued to trend higher. Passive passive investments have done extremely well. And I mentioned this last time. If you're if you're an asset manager or a money manager, you have to put money to work. You just you just have to, um, but it does feel a little topish. Um, I'm a skeptic, but that's how I am by nature. So um, it, it I think the SPAC market is either matched or overtaken the IPO market. I was reading something earlier today. The SPAC market this year has done more in terms of notional deployed than like the last five to ten years of SPACs. That's crazy.
2: Definitely a sign of the times. Um, On the institutional side, so what publications or sources are you using to gather some of your data to get an edge that us as retail investors don't have? And how can we maybe get our hands on some of that literature?
3: (laughs) Um, So, um, you know, I read read research reports. Some of that stuff is like our in-house stuff. Mm -hmm. So we have economists, we have strategists, i read that i mean i don't i don't know everything and i like to hear smart people's opinions um you know i'm on bloomberg all day and so there's a lot of information there um you know like in terms of basic stuff like daily reading like the journal Barrons, financial times i don't read all of those every day but i read at least one or two of those every day um for me bloomberg kind of gives me access to a lot of uh, wsj articles Barrons, i absolutely love um I think uh, uh, Harvard Business Review, The Economist, um, and like, and research reports and strategy reports.
2: In your experience, um, how does partisanship affect the market? And then, or do you think it'll have a big effect on how things are, are going to play out the next four or five years?
3: Great question. Super timely as well. Same with, um, same with Rashad's question about uh, IBB. So there's like this misnomer that Republicans are better for the market. And if you go back, there's done, there's been many studies done. Mm -hmm. Like there is no definitive statistical correlation between any party and the market. Mm -hmm. There is higher convicted um, or higher statistically significant data Correlated to economic performance as defined by uh rate of employment, uh GDP output, things of that nature. But I want to be very clear like the market and the economy are not the same thing. Yeah. They are not. And if this year didn't teach you anything else, that is that is abundantly clear. Um there is a bit more around that, but what there is, um, again, great question, and, I, and I'm i hammering this point home, um, and I'm sorry to, like, say this ad nauseum, but, like, it's super critical. Where there is a correlation between returns is long-term investing. Those are just the facts. Um, so, yeah, there is isn't.
2: Okay, to follow up, what are maybe, like,
3: I'm like Jordan. Republicans buy sneakers. Democrats buy sneakers. It's cool. I don't care.
2: But I but are there any like four or five economic KPIs that you're looking at that will be a catalyst?
3: Oh, surely. You can push uh, the market up. Uh, employment rate. Um, defaults. Uh, uh, GDP output. And um uh forward forward looking price turn.
2: Okay, can you say those one more time cuz I'm sure some people missed them. Sorry. GD, um, GDP.
3: So GDP employment rate or unemployment rate, however you want to however you want to look at that. Defaults. So that's on the credit side. That's huge. And forward looking price turn.
2: Okay. And my final question for you, what is one final piece of advice that you want to give everyone here to make them a better investor so we can have returns like you? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, one piece of advice. advice. Don't listen to advice.
2: Mm. Stop taking advice. More. Sorry. Go, Go into more detail on that.
3: Um, so there's a book I'll probably post at some point, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and it's a shiesty game. It's, it's a cold game, right? And this dude had has made and lost a ton of money many times over, and he got trapped into a situation where someone suggested that he buy a product first to his wife and then to him while they were shorting it. And I say that now particularly because – this brings you back to the first question you asked, right? The, the, the information age, and oh, sorry, it's the last two questions actually. The first question and the question you just asked me. The information is no longer at a premium. Like, yes, I'm gonna have analysts that are producing information that you don't have packaged mm-hmm. well for you. But information is not at a premium anymore, right? Before it's like, okay, actually have information that other people don't have what's at a premium is filtration of that information because you're 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 on social media whatever and people like oh you should buy this you should sell this or my auntie sister's cousin did this or i turned (laughs) this into this or no you shouldn't flip you should be uh um you should should be a middleman or you i forget what the term is um uh no you shouldn't take traditional lending you should take hard money lending no, you shouldn't buy traditional assets, you should only buy growth companies. Or I happen to buy Apple, um, and, you know, they said I should diversify as the only stock that I had. And and I'll ask questions like, okay, but, like, what other decisions have you made? So you – what have you done with the Apple money? Right? Like, do, do you own your home? Uh, we can go. Ernest, let
0: me let you in on a little secret. If you're looking to get meals that you'll enjoy and your bank account will love delivered straight to your doorstep, I want you to check out our people over at Every Plate. Every Plate dinners are the cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery. Their recipes come together in about 30 minutes, definitely faster than a trip to the grocery store or starting a meal from scratch. Every plate does the meal planning, shopping, and prepping for you, taking the time-consuming guesswork out of cooking. Trust me, this helped me tremendously in the kitchen. All I had to do was follow the directions, use my ingredients, and put together some of the best chicken stir-fry I've ever had. I'm gonna be honest, at first I was skeptical, thinking that the meal kit thing might be a little bit too expensive. But now I know you can get the same deliciousness at a much lower price. And if you act now, you can get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code MarketMondays3. That's right, three weeks of free every plate meals for $2.99 per meal. All you have to do is head over to everyplate.com and use the code MarketMondays3. Don't wait, don't hesitate, head over there.
3: To other tangents, because like, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm a investor across asset classes. But mm-hmm. my, my, to answer your question again succinctly, stop taking advice or at the very least be super critical in your thinking about who you're taking advice from and if the person who's giving you advice hasn't done it and doesn't not just hasn't done it because you hear people i've been doing this for 20 years yeah man things change yeah so don't take advice from people that don't do it or haven't done it and temper the advice that you take from people that used to do it, but no longer do it because the game has changed. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, my, my last final question for sure. Are there any, when you're trading, are there any technical indicators that you're looking at or are you going from more of a fundamental standpoint to make your decision if you're going to buy or sell a particular asset? Mm,
3: trading, trading. you, you got to look at technicals. I, I definitely think so. Um, I mean, fundamental analysis will, will give you like a, an understanding of the company and will make it so that when maybe something breaks down with the technicals, you're not like, you don't have that oh snap moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but trading is about like momentum and where things have been and volumes. Um, but general generally, uh, if I'm looking at like some fundamental stuff, because what you have now is like a cross-pollination between, so people talk about quantitative research, quantitative analysis. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a cross-pollination between like very technical analysis, and then the statistical analysis of the actual balance sheet are fundamental. So, for example, people were asking me about the cruise lines earlier or the airline, and I see these stocks have popped back. I'll tell you, I don't understand why. Those companies have so much debt on their balance sheet now. Like, if, if, if you were saying, okay, these were operating at 100% capacity, or no, probably not 100% capacity, but like 90% capacity, it's down to 50. Now these companies have like another, I don't know, I think American has like $50 billion of debt or something like that. Yeah. It's got to pay that debt before the equity holders see a penny. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to happen at 50% capacity or 30% capacity or wherever we are right now. Moreover, companies are in the business of making money. And like, I'm going to cut myself short. I don't want to get super long with it, but, I think that part of the work from home situation is here to stay. If I can, and you hear this term called operational leverage, essentially expanding margins by cutting costs. The, the, it, I, I'm like dumbing it down, but like, uh, I don't want to use the word dumbing it down. Sorry. I'm simplifying I'm it. it and simplifying it, yeah. um, in a way. And I, I just don't want to like, I don't want to know. I come here and I really try to give you guys like detailed information. So, um, I think that part of the work from home is here to stay, right? Because, you know, for, for a lot of people, the revenue producing units of a company prob- may need to be in-house. But the, the support the support roles, like the, the processing, the back office, the middle office, logistics, that administration, you don't need to rent, I mean, office space in San Francisco or New York on Park Avenue if those things can be done from the comfort of someone's home. So I, I, I think part of that is kind of here to stay. And I think that is gonna kind of change uh, the way everything is done. The technicals, and I'll, I'll bring this full circle. The technicals keep me from getting so out of whack mm-hmm. one way or another um, that, uh, that, I, that I kind of miss a trend. And that's why I think the technicals are important. Even if I'm looking at the fundamentals of a company, it's really hard, particularly for like new companies or growth companies. The the previous performance doesn't tell me anything. So it it, it doesn't it doesn't like it, it doesn't reconcile with why I'm buying into it because you know I'm looking at a company that I think has a thematic reason. Let's take Zoom for example. Like when is Zoom made money? But what you've seen is like a pull forward, and what you can say is, okay, I have all this user engagement. And so I'll be able to offer this service or that service and, and you can extrapolate that forward. And that's why I need the technicals, even though I can say, all right, well, the company only did, you know, $500 million in revenue two years ago. I need to see a growth rate so that I think it can get to X by the next five years or so. So, um, technical indicators, I would say 250 200, day moving average, 200 day, 50 day, um, Price to earnings, it's not really a a technical thing, but I'm definitely Mm -hmm. looking at price to earnings. I'm looking at implied volatility. I'm looking at at realized volatility.
2: And what what PE ratio do you like?
3: Uh, For what type of company? I mean, if you're looking at like the fangs, I mean, these things are like 60 or something like that, right? Um, So for a growth stock, you're going to pay a much higher PE. Um, For like a value company, some of these, you know, uh, like 16. But it's like, what I do is I look at what historical price to earnings has been Mm -hmm. and try to buy things that aren't necessarily on their highs. That's part of it. The issue right now is that everything is trading close to their statistical highs from price to earnings. And that's where the technicals come in.
2: All right, my last question, because I don't want to get beat up by Rashad and Troy. What's your favorite technical indicator that most retail traders do not know about? I have to ask, because I'm going to die if I don't know.
3: Favorite technical indicator that most.
2: Because my friends are working I mean, for They're I, like, okay, great. Go, go ahead.
3: I, I think I gave it to you in terms okay. of the VIX, man. Like, it, it, that that will tell you, what one should expect in terms of price movement okay I mean I, I'm not going to just sit here and make stuff up man there's I appreciate that yeah no yeah. I mean yeah do I have do I have things in my models that I'm like mm-hmm. okay well okay so oh fine I'll, I'll, I'll try to drop something different um, thank you I will look at I will take a basket of ETf let's take like XLE, XOK, XLI, sorry. Uh, XOK is tech, XLI is industrials, XUs, utilities, XLS, financials. XOK is tech. XOB is um, healthcare. Uh, what else do we have? Um, XLE, uh, XLP, that'll be your staples. XLY will be your discretionary. Um, so fine. So I'll take a basket, right? And I'll look at maybe the S&P as well. And I'll say, all right, so for one, for any index or ETF, what you're gonna have is a rebalancing. So bad companies or companies that don't meet a certain threshold get taken out. So, so like you naturally get rid of like idiosyncratic risk, right? So you, so a bankruptcy, for example, isn't gonna shock that or further the same way. Oh, and I'll use market cap. I don't like price weighted. So the Dow, I don't do it. I, I don't like it as much. Uh, and, and honestly, that's a big reason why institutional investors look at the S&P versus Dow. Uh, like, and I don't like volume weighted indexes either because what happens is an event happens and a particular stock trades a ton and then it becomes a disproportionate weighting for that index. So um, I'll take like a basket. Let's just take those ETFs for example. I'll compare them to SPY, and I'll say, okay, what's the average move? What's the average implied volatility? Okay, what's the average, uh, what's the average realized volatility? And then I'll say, I'll take that over that basket. And then I'll say, okay, what, what is moving much more than that to the right or to the left? And then I'll get like an indicator that something looks too high or something looks too cheap. That gives me an indicator to go do some digging into something. But that's like a quick quantitative screen um, or one that, like, that, I, that I built, right? So, um, and it's like something that's like, that, that you can replicate. Take a basket of indexes. So not, it doesn't work for stocks because you have idiosyncratic risk. Take something that is routinely rebalanced so that you remove tail risk, idiosyncratic risk. All right, take that, compare that versus a benchmark. You can use S&P, you can use a Dow Jones. I gave you why I don't particularly like Dow Jones. Yeah. You can use Q's, you can use whatever. And then what you do is take the mean and median and the, and then you're also going to need your standard deviation mm-hmm. of those things. I look at the implied volatilities there because this, again, this is, this is uh, options trading. And I'll say, okay, the implied, the, the implied versus realized ratio typically is here for these names. When I see something that's like, and then, and you have your standard deviation. So, you know, things typically are 67% between a standard deviation higher or lower mm-hmm. than your mean. So if I see something that's like two standard deviations or two and a half standard deviations high, it screens it for me. Two, two and a half standard deviations low, screens it for me. And then that lets me go, okay, this is something that I should actually take a look at. What, what's going on here and why? I think that's a technical indicator that probably most retail investors don't have. So you can build yourself in an Excel spreadsheet and it will at least give you a, 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 a shovel to start like doing something.
2: So you're using a screener to tell you when it's outside of the, the deviation? Oh my God. Okay, thank you. Um,
3: and that will work uh, for... That will work for any mean reverting asset because stock price is not mean reverting. Oh, maybe sorry, I should have mentioned your fixed moment. Volatility is mean reverting.
2: Mm, okay, tell everyone what that means.
3: It means that when you you sh- you can expect things to snap back to the to the averages because I mean, in terms of like the the, the long winded explanation like a stock price can continue to go up, right? It's not like you can say stock over the last 100 years was $50. If it gets to 100, it's going back to 50. No. But volatility, assuming a company doesn't get like bought out or or go bankrupt, volatility being that it is a statistically derived formulaic uh, uh, tool it is mean reverting like by mathematical definition so when you see things gap high or gap low um and let me take a step back and like do and, and and put it in like kind of like lay terms so a company comes out uh revenues just first start and uh it's probably more it's probably more volatile and then a company becomes more mature you understand the revenues a bit more you understand the cost structure a bit more people understand what it is and you'll see like the stock trades in a range or it moves up kind of lockstep. Now, again, it's the rate of change of volatility, how fast something is changing is mean reverting not where it's going. That's mean reverting I want to be very, 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 okay. very, clear about it. but that's, our, that's, 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 yeah. that's, um, I think that's powerful information for all the option traders out there, right? Like you, when you see things move away from the mean or the median, they should be similar unless you have some tail risk. But a standard normal distribution, your mean equals your median. And I think it's 66.7% of observations fall within standard deviation below or above that mean, which equals median. When you see moves that are multiples of that standard deviation, I tend to fade them. And you can express those views directionally um, if you so choose. So when I see a stock, when I see an index um, and I see uh, the implied volatility at, let's call it 32, right? So 2% roughly. And I see a move of 4%. percent hmm I'm probably not going to just go buy that stock, but I'm probably going to go sell some puts there because it's now gapped that the, the implied volatility has jumped. I know over longer periods of time that the stock doesn't do that. And I'm going to say, okay, that's fine. I'm going to look at a technical level. I'm going to say, here's support. I'm willing to sell a put here. And in addition to that, I'm going to use this put strike with this implied volatility, because I know over longer periods of time that it does not continue to move at this rate continuously.
2: I, I appreciate that. I hope uh, everyone-
3: Sorry, I felt like you were a little disappointed. You're like, come on, no, man. No, no, no,
2: no, no. That, 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 oh, the... <laughs> no. No, 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 but even on the equity side, I want people to catch- you're essentially saying that since it doesn't revert it's going to tend to the upside and then of course volatility is going to mean revert and slide back in. That's very insightful and helpful on its own for people to stop trying to short quality companies. Cuz look at all the people yeah. that've been shorting Tesla since 310 or 250 and they've been getting torn apart. So, but I can keep you here all night. I want to be respectful of your time and also uh my brother's at EYL and we can start to cuz we have some technical difficulties um the devil was trying to play some tricks on us, but you know, man, I love chatting with you. We can be on here to midnight, but I don't want to ruin our friendship, and my friendship with <laughs> Sean and Troy either. So we'll table it for another day. Um, man, I greatly appreciate you. Um, and you've helped me a lot, even tonight. So I, I want to thank you again for being amazing, always being a. Uh, you know, a gracious guest, and you know you family. So whenever you come on, I want you to just have the floor. And, and just uh, I appreciate everybody. it,
3: man. It's a pleasure, guys. Thanks for letting me uh, come back, and to the uh, the viewer and the audience, man. Thank you guys for like sticking with me and showing me love. Um, it's important that we get this information. Um, I'm not right about everything, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't have I'm not. I'm not selling anything. Like we deserve to have this information shouldn't Mm -hmm. be locked up in the safe a lot of other people have this passed down by their fathers or uncles or grandfathers or mentors um and it's just important that like we get it and i hope that my hope is that there's another young up-and-coming sister or brother that i can sit down and go so yo young buck tell me how they tell me how it's moving now um but it's important that this information that, that, that people aren't intimidated by the market, aren't intimidated by investments. Um, yeah. It's, investing is timeless, man. It's been around since forever. Mm-hmm.
2: No, I, I take you, I appreciate you taking it for everyone. Uh, also listening. It's not often that you're going to get a chance to sit down and listen to a brother who's on this side of the investment table. So, everyone say thank you in the comments to him because if you try to get someone like him to give you a consult and break that down, it's going to cost you a pretty penny. So, and thank you for being willing, being on the institutional side to actually share some information that will give us on the retail side an edge as well. So, thank you.
3: Absolutely. My
2: pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you. Further shot, I'm sorry. I promise you, I didn't plan this for Zoom. <laughs> so we're going to do, have to do it like a part I, three.
0: How, how is. You? You can hear us? We good?
2: Yeah, we can hear you.
0: Yeah, man. That I mean, Ian said he wanted his Oprah moment. Yeah, man. man. And look, at <laughs> I
1: said, man. Took the sh- took the they show, they man. made sure it
0: happened. That was, that was super yeah. impressive. We appreciate you for that. But that was good. We're going to call him King Bo from now on. Bottle in. The King. Shout out to you. EYL, contrib- EYL University Market Monday's contributor, man. Another amazing, another amazing performance. You. Fire emojis, please. Fire emojis. Yeah,
2: fire emojis. Because for those of you who trade <laughs> options too, I know he blessed you with something. But equities traders and futures traders, even on, on the future side, it helped me. I'm like, okay, great. great. If I know we're gonna move up two percent, like having a 1.5 percent target a 1.2 percent target, that helped a hell of a lot. From when you shared that, so thank you. Ooh, like you I got goal. Some-
0: I, I got some notes, man. I got notes. Yep. For real for real.
2: Me too. Yeah. Tons of them.
0: Appreciate
1: yep. appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you both of you guys for holding down the show uh, and the spectators today, but it was It was good to watch. So I appreciate it.
2: Appreciate Just like it. the one game when the bench player, like get 20, you're going to put up 80 next week, man. You still Kobe? Come on, <laughs> let me get your chitch off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate you for real. No,
1: nah, that's nah, all good. So,
0: all right. Um, yeah. Uh, any any last words? Yeah, man. It is uh, Thanksgiving week, so we want to make sure that everybody stays safe, but um, also people get to reach out and uh, you know, help people if they can, and spend time with your family, your loved ones. On oh, that is super important, and we want to thank every one of you, everybody that's watching right now. Thank you. Um, you have made this year a spectacular one for us here at EYL. So we we want to give thanks to you because without you, you know, believing in us and um, spreading the word and telling a friend to tell a friend it wouldn't be possible. So we are uh, indebted to you. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And don't forget tomorrow, we got a uh, Wall Street trap. The big trap. Uh, EYL 110. Crazy 110 episodes that quickly. Uh, and uh, and we're going to be on trap on Tuesdays as well. Um, and then he's coming back on Wednesday. So it's a, it's a full week. of It's all investing this whole week. Um, hopefully you could just learn something. And apply it. And then, um, yes, we are running that 50% off EYL University, 24 hour flash sale. I'll put it in here. If you guys are interested, the code is EYL50. And once again, thank both of you guys for holding it down. Yeah. Zoom, you know, Zoom definitely hated on us. Yeah, like, like I said, that's part of business. There's always problems in, that, in any type of business that you run. is always a problem. So it's about just, you know, managing uh, the problems. And um, like they say on, on Broadway, the show must go it's on. It's gotta so. go,
0: man. Shout out to Big, we got Big Snow in the back. Shout out to Jeezy um, and uh, to Gucci Jeezy, for and that, that, that epic yeah. battle. And I, I push. shout out, we got Trap Music up there. That's his favorite album, so I'll put it up there for him.
2: <laughs> this has to be like what Steve Kerr felt like when he hit that shot with MJ <laughs> throwing the ball. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs>
2: I love y'all, man. I appreciate y'all so much.
0: Hey, yo, oh, real quick, shout out to uh, EYL Legend. It was his birthday today, man. Shout out to none other. Then my God, my God, Disney Killer. Nacho Banger. Today's his birthday, man. Shout out to you. him. Happy, birthday. Happy birthday. He's, birthday. He's a legend. Happy birthday. Nacho. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. All right, y'all. Be good. Have a good turkey day and um enjoy yourselves. Thank enjoy you, your bro. family. But be safe, most importantly.
2: Peace. Good holidays. Peace. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you, brother. <laughs>